This past week, we've been tracking the path of Isaac. You see a satellite photo of this hurricane that hit the Gulf Coast. The aftermath is seen in this next picture. Just imagine if one of your homes, uh, one of your home, that is, uh, was sitting in that shallow lake. How would that make you feel? Look at this next picture. And uh, imagine that was your home. Totally flooded, furniture destroyed, carpet, um, possessions, treasures. Look at this picture. Imagine if you're in this boat being evacuated, leaving your home, not knowing when you might return, not knowing all the implications of uh, this disaster. That's beset you. This picture uh, of uh, victims taking the most important things, their dogs and whatever else they could grab. Uh, We see this so often in the news, we forget so easily about the victims and the pain that you're going through. Now, hopefully... The majority of you have never been through flooding of this nature. But all of us have been emotionally flooded by the circumstances in our lives, by people, by health issues that have just overwhelmed us. And that's exactly how we feel. That one house that was almost up to the roof, we feel like, I'm going to drown here. What do we do with that? How do we deal with that? pain in our lives. We're going to explore that today as we conclude our series, Cries of the Heart, a series in Psalms for the last nine weeks. I really enjoyed teaching my portion of this series. And Psalm 137 really unpacks the biblical truth that when we're going through challenging times, it's so important that we express our pain to God, that we tell God, and we get the support from others in regards to just processing through that feeling and owning our emotions in order to move through that pain in our lives. So open up your Bibles. I always encourage you to bring them as we study God's Word together to Psalm 137. Now, Let's take a look at the historical background of this psalm. The Israelites, as we talked about several weeks ago, were constantly rebelling against God. And prophets were sent to the Israelites to say, listen, if you continue on this rebellious track, you will be disciplined. You will be taken off into captivity. Well, they continued on their wayward ways, and eventually this captivity came. Now, before that, the nation of Israel was split in two and became two different countries. To the north, you had Israel itself, and to the south, you had Judah. It used to be all Israel, but now you have Israel to the north and Judah uh, to the south. And you see Samaria was the capital of Israel. On the left side there, a little castle. 
and Jerusalem was the capital of Judah. Now, earlier, uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, uh, was overtaken by the Assyrians, and they were just kind of spread out everywhere. That was what the Assyrians did. But Babylon, Babylonia, and the Babylons and Babylonia, uh, came and took the northern or the southern kingdom of Judah, and they took them to Babylon, and that was their captivity. That was their exile. Uh, they became slaves again like they were in Egypt. And in 586 B.C. is how it all started. The Babylonians came in, and they torched the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the walls. They destroyed the homes. They destroyed the great temple that Solomon had built and where God resided in the Holy of Holies. And everybody was taken off into captivity. So this particular psalm is a psalm reflecting upon that experience in captivity. Now, it was their discipline. They asked for it, and they got it, in a sense. But still, of course, it was very difficult for them, very emotionally painful. And so this particular psalm was most likely written by Jeremiah, who also wrote the book of Lamentations. And lament, this is a psalm of lament. There are many psalms of lament in the 150 psalms in the Psalter. And a psalm of lament is really a psalm of mourning. Mourning It's a psalm of grief. And the five books in the book of Lamentations, the five chapters that is in the book of Lamentations, are all lamenting the same period of the captivity. So if you want some further reading, you can look at that particular book over the weekend. Let's look at Psalm 137, verse 1. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So, you have a group of Jews who are now in Babylon. You remember, of course, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego were part of this captivity. There were certain Jews that were taken into government training, but the most, of, most of them went to slavery. And, and Daniel, of course, was in the captivity, and he lived the rest of his days in, in Babylon. But here we see a particular group of Jews that are just mourning over their loss. And what they're remembering is Zion, which is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, that glorious city with a wonderful temple, just the place that they love so much for so many different reasons. And so they're sitting there by the river. It's interesting that it was customary for Jews when they had kind of like impromptu Bible studies or worship times, they would go to a place uh, that had uh, water, a river or stream, something of that nature. So they, 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 they sat down by the river, and they were remembering Zion. And really what was happening here, I believe, is that God's discipline was being effective in their lives. Because once they were taken out of their home, they realized that God was the source of all their good gifts. And so now they're saying, woe is us. Uh, you know, we turned against God. And now we're missing him so much. We're missing being in his temple, or being around his temple at least, in regards to being close to the presence of God, even though God was everywhere. There was, he resided in the temple in the Holy of Holies. 
And so they're just broken up about this. I guess the closest analogy we could get to our own lives if we were unjustly accused of a crime and we had to go to prison for that crime. Just imagine you're sitting in a prison cell, a place you never expected to be, unjustly accused of something. You have like a 30-year sentence. Think about what would be going through your mind. Well, certainly you'd be thinking a lot about your family. You had a wife or husband or kids, other relatives, and that and they can come and see you for very short periods of time, but you're separated from them. Then you think about friends, friends at church, friends in the neighborhood, that type of thing. And you think, uh, I can't have the same type of relationship I had with them here. And you think about Springbrook and say, I can't go. I can't go on the weekends anymore to praise God and, and be with the family. And, and, of course, all these things would be going through your mind. So I use that as an analogy to help us to kind of dial in to how the Israelites or the Jewish people at this time are feeling. They're feeling lost. They're feeling displaced. And God's discipline is impacting them and, of course, helping them to realize uh, the error of their ways. That's interesting that they get around and they sit, and what do they do? They weep as they remember Zion. So here, here's this group of Jews. They're not celebrating. They're not playing music. They're just crying. They're crying. And it's interesting as you look at this particular psalm, it's a beautiful illustration of how one should express their emotions, both positive and negative, uh, whatever they might be, to God in the midst of a difficult time. Because they start out just so depressed. They're despairing. They are hurting. And they cry. And crying is a good thing. Crying is a good thing. In fact, they did a study that showed that crying releases toxins from your body. They compared normal tears, like the tears that we always have in our eyes that moisten our eyes and cleanse our eyes, and compared that to stress tears, is when you cry and you're, you're sad about something. For example, they took a group of people and they put them in front of, I think there was a particular movie that was extremely sad. <laughs> I think it was probably a bunch of women, because I can't imagine a bunch of guys sitting around and crying. <laughs> you know, they collected their tears. A scientific study. They collected their tears, and then they studied uh, the enzymes and the tears and things of that nature. And what they found was, with the stress tears that came because of emotional pain, watching this movie, that there were toxins in these tears that weren't in a normal type of tear. So there you have it. Scientific proof that crying is good for you. It releases toxins from your body. So, uh, when you're hurting, if you can, <laughs> cry. A good cry is one of the healthiest things that you can experience. Now, I know men, we struggle with this, but if you can get yourself to cry <laughs> over what's going on in your life, that, that's a very good thing. And usually, I know that when I have a good cry, I feel better. Because it releases emotional stress. You know, you're so worked up. And, and really what you need is a good cry. 
You might not even realize that, but when I've been really stressed out and overwhelmed with life and I cry, you know, when my family sees me crying, they say, is everything okay? I said, yeah, just let me cry, let me cry. <laughs> let me get all this stress out of my body, you know. And uh, I feel better after it because it releases that stress. So I don't know what it takes. You know, set up a playlist on your iPod of the saddest, song, saddest songs <laughs> you've ever heard. <laughs> you know, get alone in a room, turn off the lights, uh, whatever it takes. You know, let your heart go. Let, let your eyes go and uh, weep. Uh, it's a very healthy thing to do that God built into our bodies for that particular uh, purpose. So, here they are, sitting in a circle, crying. Uh, verse 2, on the willows, there we hung up our lyres. Now, what's a lyre? What's well, a harp? And here's an illustration of a harp in biblical days. I would compare this to a guitar. How many have tried to play the guitar sometime in their life? I took guitar lessons for a couple of months. I think everybody picks one up at one point or another. But yeah, it's a portal instrument. It's a great, you know, you can go anywhere and sing songs. But that's kind of like how they had harps in those days. They would carry them around and they would play them. And, and they had harps. Somehow they had harps. I don't know if they brought them with them or if the Babylonians uh, had provided them. And, uh, but they didn't want to play them because they were depressed. There was no reason for joy in this particular situation. So what they did is they hung their harps on a willow tree. You see a picture of a willow tree here. When I was growing up, we had a huge willow tree in our backyard that pretty much covered all of it, and then one in the front yard. And uh, they have a lot of branches. So the idea is that they're saying, we don't want to play our harps. We're not in the mood to play our harps. We're going to put our harps on the willow tree, and they're going to hang there. And we're not interested in rejoicing at this time. How about, how about yourself? What harp have you hung up in your life? Maybe your marriage, maybe divorce, separation, or just a lot of tension. Maybe you put that particular harp on a tree. Say there's no joy there anymore. Maybe your relationship with your kids, that's a harp you put on the tree. Or maybe it's job, financial security, those type of things. No reason to rejoice over that. Now, it's okay to put your harp on the tree. That, that's a healthy thing to do because there's times for joy and there's times for working through pain. And so you don't want to leave your harp on the tree. You want to restore that joy through God's power. But again, God says it's healthy to have those times when, hey, you're despondent. Not out of... You have hope in God, but it's just where you're at emotionally. We talked a lot about this last fall as we went through emotional, healthy spirituality and the fact that we shouldn't deny our emotions. In American evangelical culture, there has been an orientation toward the fact that, well, we're Christians, we're saved, we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have all the power, and we walk with Christ and things like that, and therefore we shouldn't be down. We should have smiles on our faces. Well, that's not the nature of life. As we study God's Word, we see all kinds of pain. We see people walking through pain. That's not what the Bible teaches, that Christians always have to be happy, always have to have a great attitude, no matter what's going on in their lives, and they just have to have a great outlook. No, it says, 
You've got to express that emotion. You've got to own the grief in your life over the losses that you've had. And you've got to express that to God as seen so beautifully in this psalm. Uh, and they're very honest uh, in this psalm. Now, what, what were they upset about beyond just the fact that they were in captivity? Well, we go on uh, in verse 2 and 3. It says, Our willows, uh, there we hung up our lyres. For there our captors required of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing, a, sing us one of the songs of Zion. So here they are. They're sitting around weeping. And their captors are saying, we want you to sing for us. We want you to be mirthful, to be happy. We want you to put on a show for us. And it really was mental torture because that's not where they were at. But they forced them to do that, to cause emotional distress. In fact, it's interesting that in World War II, in the concentration camp, sometimes the Germans would ask the Jews to sing songs of their heritage. Now, why did they do that? Because they wanted to be entertained? No. Because they wanted to create emotional distress. Here they're already in a concentration camp. The last thing they wanted to do was to sing for Germans their songs of heritage. So history repeats itself. So they were very, very upset about that. Then we go on to verse 4. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? The psalmist writes, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. The psalmist is saying, I don't want to sing. I don't want to play my harp. I want to keep my emotional center on God, God's temple in Jerusalem. I want to be thinking about that, and I don't want to forget it. In a sense, he's saying we've forgotten it in the past, and that's why we're here. So I don't want to forget it. And he actually calls a curse down on himself. He says, if I forget Jerusalem, may my right hand lose its skill. And the Hebrew word is paralyzed. Paralyzed. May my right hand be paralyzed so I can't even play the harp. And on top of that, let my, my tongue be stuck to the roof of my mouth so I cannot sing. He's calling a curse down. If I ever forget Jerusalem again, if I ever forget the most important thing in my life, oh, that I be cursed. And in the same way, for those of us who are Christ followers, that should be our intent. Because so many times we get lost in this world and the world has so many distractions and so many things that can take our main focus away from our relationship with Jesus Christ and why we're here on this earth. And we we, we go off in wrong directions and follow our sinful desires. and, And that's why they were being disciplined, because that had happened to them. And so The psalmist is writing, saying, no, we don't want to be tempted to do anything else, to be distracted in any way. We need to have a laser focus on God in the same way that we do. And even in the midst of our pain, as you know, pain is one of the best tools to bring us closer to God. And so as you go through your pain, keep your eyes 
on Jesus. Focus in on Him because that's what God desires the most. Well, we continue on in the psalm and we look at uh, Psalm 137, verse 7. Now it takes a turn. This is where it turns uh, to an imprecatory psalm. So most of the psalm is imprecatory except for the first, well, the last couple of verses, like half and half. Uh, now what's an imprecatory psalm? Well, an imprecatory psalm is when you're wishing evil upon people who have hurt you. And first of all, they talk about the Edomites. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare down to its foundations. Now, what's that all about? Well, if you look at this map here, you'll see on the lower half there the kingdom of Edom in yellow. Remember, you had Abraham and two children, Ishmael and Isaac. And Isaac, that's where... Uh, Christly, uh, or Christ descendants came from. And so that's the Jewish pathway. With Esau, his descendants became the Edomites. In fact, Edom means red. Remember how, how Esau was described as a reddish color? So that was his descendants. They became a nation, the kingdom of Edom. And there was a lot of tension between Edom and Judah and really the Israelites, as you go throughout history, there was just a, a battle going on all the time. <laughs> they were enemies. They were arch enemies. And so when the Babylonians came over, and I assume from the passage that the Edomites were actually there when it all went down, maybe helping, who knows? I mean, they were cheering it on. That's what this verse is talking about. It says, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, Lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundation. So they're saying, hey, Babylonians, destroy this city thoroughly. They're cheerleaders on the side saying, yeah, lay it bare, lay it bare, tear it, tear it down to its foundations. It reminded me, this verse of 9-11, when we saw reports from around the world where there were different radical Muslim People out in the streets cheering the fact that America had been attacked. They were just rejoicing over the fact that the great America had been brought down low. Well, that's the Edomites. They were rejoicing over what was happening to Judah. So this is an imprecatory psalm, in a sense, because they're asking for justice. They're saying, God, remember the Edomites. You must discipline them. You must, well, you must judge them in this situation. You must do something in order to let them know that what they did was wrong in rejoicing over the fall of Jerusalem and your temple. Then it goes on even further in verse 8. O daughter of Babylon. Now he's turning his attention to how Babylon should be treated. Doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Remember we talked about the meaning of blessed? That means happy. Happy is the nation that destroys Babylon. They're seeking justice 
And even beyond that, they're seeking revenge. Revenge is justice with hate. <laughs> revenge is hate. Uh, revenge is sin, that is. So they want Babylon to be destroyed. Then in verse 9, now listen to this very carefully. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. In other versions, it's infants. Blessed shall he be who takes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Now, this is uh, one of the hard sayings of the Old Testament. Because people look at this and say, what? How can that be? Blessed shall be the one who takes infants and throws them against the rocks. Is that in the Bible? <laughs> people have questioned that. People have tried to minimize it in the past. Augustine, one of our church fathers, said, well, this is talking about sins, <laughs> not actually infants. But no, it's talking about infants. Again, some other illustrations of imprecatory psalms. Uh, Psalm 10:15. Rake the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. In Psalm 11:6, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. <laughs> You're not going to find that on a Hallmark greeting card. <laughs> That's pretty intense, isn't it? So let's go back to verse 9 here. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. What are they saying here? Well, what they're saying is, is when the Babylonians ransacked and destroyed Jerusalem, what they did was they took the Jewish infants and they threw them against the rocks. That's what the Babylonians did. In fact, that was pretty common back in, that, in those days in battles. If they take over a particular uh, city, whatever, they would many times kill the children because they didn't want those children to grow up to be soldiers. So all the psalmist is saying is, an eye for an eye, right? Do exactly to the Babylonians what they did to us. We want revenge. They just didn't want justice. <laughs> they wanted revenge. And there, there's a fine line between justice and revenge. Justice is a good thing. And that's why we get so angry when we watch the news and see different stories developing. And justice is not served. We have a righteous anger because justice is not served in a certain situation. But revenge goes over the line. It's where we want to take things into our own hands. We want to mete out the punishment. We want to deal with the problem instead of letting God deal with the problem. Now, a sense of justice would be found in Revelation 6.10. This is a verse found during the tribulation. This is spoken by saints who had been in the tribulation and became Christ followers after the rapture, and they were now underneath the altar of Christ. And they're wondering, okay, when are you going to take vengeance upon the people who killed us? Because they were martyrs. Verse 10, they cried out with a loud voice, 
O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They're saying, hey, when are you going to bring judgment upon the people who killed us? So again, a sense of justice. But again, we move toward revenge. You ever had a revenge fantasy? <laughs> right? Oh, I think we all have, if we're honest. Somebody who's hurt us, whether it be a, an ex or a friend or someone in the family or someone in your business or whatever, and you're just really angry. And you're thinking of all the different things you'd like to happen to that person. <laughs> yeah. In regards to them feeling the pain that you have felt. Let me illustrate this. Let's say that everyone in the U.S. this year was given the opportunity to mete out their own justice. So, for example, in this area, uh, Judge Judy uh, would come in, and uh, along with Judge Judy, you'd get a police car from Lake in the Hills, and along with the police car came an officer. And so you get into the car with Judge Judy and the officer, and you're the one who's really the judge, but Judge Judy's there just to intimidate. Uh, and what you get to do is you get to pick out anybody in the Chicagoland area. Now, we don't have a lot of money here in Illinois, so we can't go outside the Chicago area. But one person that's hurt you, one person who deserves some pain, and you can go to their house or their place of business with a police officer and Judge Judy, and you can pick them up, and you can put them in the McHenry County Jail for up to 30 days, one month. And you make the decision. Nobody questions you. It doesn't matter who it is. It's just what you feel. Okay? So who are you going to go to? Think about it. <laughs> who deserves some time behind bars for how they've treated you, how they've hurt you, what they've said about you, how they've caused pain in your life? How many days are you going to give them? How many days are you going to give your spouse? <laughs> or your kids? Ah, that'd be good for them, I tell you that. <laughs> or somebody at work who's caused you, caused you incredible grief. Two days, three days, five days. What do you think? Sounds pretty good. <laughs> Where do I sign up? <laughs> you know the problem with this? Is that you'd be in jail. <laughs> you would be in jail because you've hurt somebody, you've wronged somebody, you've made somebody mad. Maybe it's your spouse who the first day gets in and says, it's my husband, send him to jail, <laughs> you know. You see, we are inadequate in determining how a person should be punished because we are sinful, we are vengeful, we would really mess it up. And, and, and we try to do it sometimes, right? We try to seek revenge. We try to tear a person up and gossip. We try to create pain in their lives. And it always is a mess. It's a mess. And that's why it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never get with Judge Judy and the police. <laughs> right? Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. 
That is the healthiest thing to do. You bring your pain to God, how this person has hurt you, you express it to God, and then you start that forgiveness pathway, which can be a very long pathway for people who have hurt you deeply. But you forgive them and you say, God, I would love to do your work, but I know that I shouldn't. So I give it all to you, and I give this person to you, this group to you, whatever. I give them to you, and I know that in your heavenly wisdom that you will do what is right. I know that if I took care of it, it would be a mess. And I, uh, you didn't ask me to do this, but I need to give this person to you. So that's so important to understand. Well, we continue on. Uh, we go back to verse 2. On the willows there we hung our lyres. It talks here about grief, working through pain and grief. And the thing, again, I I really want you to take away this morning is that if you have pain in your life, you need to embrace that pain. You need to express that pain. You need to uh, let God minister to you in the midst of that pain in order that you might work through it and come out stronger on the other end. There are different losses that we can go through, death, divorce, separation, affairs, health, friends who move away, betrayals, abuse, unfulfilled dreams, failures in life, bad choices of children, missed opportunities. These are seasons in our life. Ecclesiastes expresses it so well. Solomon writes, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Yeah, it's great when we can dance and laugh, but we have to accept, and so many people have a tough time with this because of so many reasons, but we don't want to take the time to weep and mourn and if we don't do that, all those emotions go toxic. And we're not obeying the Lord. Jesus Christ, illustrated in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26. He got together with his disciples and he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I'm, you know, what if someone came up to you and said, I am so overwhelmed with life. I am so down and depressed that I feel like I'm going to die. You'd be very concerned about them, wouldn't you? Here is the Son of God, God Himself, saying that He was so overwhelmed with His emotions. And He's, he's willing to tell His disciples this. I don't know about you, but if I were Jesus, I'd say, hey, listen, I've got to check out here for a while. <laughs> Keep up my reputation as being the strong man. But no, He just, he just lays it out. He says, oh, I am just overwrought here. Would you please stay with me? And, you know, friends are so valuable, close friends, that you can vent to, that you can let them know about the pain in your life. And Jesus Christ, of course, had uh, uh, his inner circle, uh, James, John, and Peter, and uh, he had his closest friends. And, and he shared with them, oh, please pray with me. All of you pray with me. Because I need your prayers. You need to have those type of relationships. And that's why we encourage small groups. It's not like you walk into a small group, it's magical. Everybody starts meeting your needs. 
<laughs> it's just another venue in which for you to create a spiritual relationship in terms you can create you can share what's really going on in your heart. And uh, whether it's coming out to our men's breakfast this Saturday, just getting to know people and, and God will lead you toward that spiritual friend that you can really connect with and you have the chemistry with and they can really help you to grow in your life. So he shares with his friends, he's honest with his friends. Then Matthew twenty six thirty nine, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed. So here Jesus Christ just lays him out, lays himself out prostrate. Just a sign of I have no strength for this. And he cries out to God. That's what we need to do. If you're in the midst of pain today, you need to continue to cry out to God. But sadly enough, so many of us deny our emotional pain. How do we do this? Well, we do this through denial. Yeah, I, it doesn't matter if I'm fired or well, I was fired or not. <laughs> Minimizing, hey, it's no big deal. Blaming others, that's a big one. Instead of taking ownership in your role in a problem. Over-spiritualizing. Some of us who have been Christians for a long time know all the right things to say to protect ourselves uh, from other people who might want to help us to identify with our emotions. Rationalizing. I've got a genetic disposition toward rage. <laughs> yeah, right. Intellectualizing. Uh, comparing yourself to others. Not really feeling it. Uh, distracting yourself of all types of entertainment and just keep your life running so you don't have to stop and think about what really you're feeling. Medicating is a big one. We all have our medications, don't we? <laughs> it might be alcohol or drugs or it might be a certain type of food or a certain type of sweet or it might be whatever. When we're so stressed out, we just have to have that instead of dealing with what's really going on in our hearts. Uh, David's uh, journal, I just would encourage you to read Psalm 142 because this is a beautiful example of just pouring his heart out to God. I'll just read the first portion here. With my voice I cry to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. Have you ever complained to God? It's okay to do to complain to God. Uh, I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, is your spirit fainting within you today? You've got a burden that just seems way too big. and We well, need to tell God that. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Is there somebody out there that's trying to bring you down? Well, you need to, again, uh, express that. And I encourage you to read the rest of that psalm. But one thing I, I want you to try out as another way of growing closer to Christ identifying your emotions, what's really going on deep in the iceberg, as we talked about, is journaling. And we'll continue to talk about the importance of this, but uh, journaling is an amazing way to get the emotions out of you. Just as tears release toxicity, whenever you're able to verbalize what's going on in your head, whether it be to a friend or in prayer to God or through a journal that you might pray back to God, it releases toxicity in your system. That's the way God created us. We've got to get the emotions out in an appropriate way or they'll come out in an inappropriate way or they'll cause physical problems, emotional problems. We've got to express what's going on in our heart. And Dawson Trotman, the founder of The Navigator, said, thoughts disentangle themselves as they move from the lips to the fingertips. So as we write 
our feelings out. It brings clarity because most of the time we just go round and round like a, a gerbil. <laughs> you know? uh, we just go round and round. We, we have no clarification. We have no expression. So tips for journaling. Determine your journal, uh, whether it be a paper or a computer. Uh, you can delete it. I mean, it's, it's, there's value just to writing out your emotions, getting all that toxicity out. You can delete it if you're afraid of somebody finding it. Uh, write out a prayer to God. Write out a prayer. Say, God, this is how I'm feeling. And nothing's going to surprise him. You have sinful feelings, put those in there as well, or sinful whatever. I mean, I'm just saying be totally honest with God. You can repent of your sin in the midst of it, but just get it all out and really be honest with God. Uh, don't worry about the formatting when you're writing these things down. And, and seek to do it once a week. I try at least three times a week to journal. Sometimes I'm better than other times. But just writing down highlights from the day as well as emotions and what God is teaching me. I mean, I really encourage you when you're doing your daily office just to keep a running journal where you write down your observations. We've talked about that. But uh, I, I really would ask you, especially if you're really in a lot of pain today for whatever reason, to spend some time this afternoon or tomorrow, Labor Day weekend, and take 10, 15 minutes, half hour, and just pour out your heart to God. And, and, and if the tears come, even better. Because no matter what you're going through, how chronic the problem might be, you will feel better. Because God wants to hear you. He wants to connect with you. All right. Uh, before we close here, let's talk about uh, memory verses that we were focusing on. Last week's memory verse was uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of you uh, memorized that or tried to memorize that? Raise your hand. All right, excellent. Yeah, higher participation. Now, again, if you've got your own memory program going, that's great. But if you don't, at least take one verse uh, a month uh, with us. The new one is Ephesians 4:29. If you take off your communication slip uh, from your program, you can just rip it off. And there are next steps there. And under the name, if you're, if you're our guest, we encourage you to fill that out. If you're a regular attender, just put down the names of the adults that are here in your family. Uh, and write down, again, if you feel so led under the name, just circle one of the numbers here. I'll spend a half day, half hour journaling about my pain to God. should be pain, not paid. I'll practice two daily offices a day this week. I'll take a step this week to cultivate a gospel relationship, helping a person who doesn't know Jesus just to get to know you better. I'll make a commitment to be on time for worship gatherings. I'll meditate on or seek to memorize Ephesians 4.29. And I'm interested in knowing more about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you don't know Jesus personally as we've described it today in terms of uh, this intimacy with God, please uh, let us know. Now, we can have our ushers come forward.